almost like appropriating a culture that wasn't really mine or that was supposed to be mine but isn't. Welcome to the Who Do You Think You Are podcast. My name is Elan Ezekiel. In episode three of this exploration of the Juniverse, we meet Nina Randisi, a Jewish woman with Tunisian heritage. After you hear from Nina, Penny Rabiger and I will reflect on some of the themes that this conversation brought up for us. So, here's episode three of Who Do You Think You Are with Nina Randisi. Nina, could you introduce yourself, please? Sure. So, my name is Nina. I am French, but I grew up in London. And uh, my mum is Jewish Tunisian. The Londoners that will be listening will be saying, well, which bit of London? And people outside of London won't care. So, but yes, just for the I Londoners. In, uh, I grew up in southwest London. Now I'm in East London. I grew up going to the French school. So I was very like immersed in French culture within England, not very much mixing with British kids, the British Jewish community. But, yeah. And then now in East London, are you sort of still with the sort of the francophone world or is it all no, a bit more mixed up? No, I think up? like since school ended, it's more gradually become like internationals um, that I've felt kind of like a kinship towards. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. International or people who come from like mixed backgrounds. I think I tend to gravitate towards people who have like one parent from one place, one parent from another, or who are like between different cultures. Because um, I feel like I definitely grew up between a bunch of different cultures and countries and languages um so I don't really identify with any of them and I think I kind of see myself in other people who are similar even if they come from completely different places so Nina who do you think you are I've thought about this question a lot um it's a complicated one I think that if I define my Jewish identity in like broad terms I would say that Mm -hmm. I'm Tunisian Jewish Um, And I don't think I could separate the Jewish from the Tunisian. I think to me, they're like a single cell because my experience of Judaism has been through the lens of my family and how they practice and their customs and like the traditions and the rituals, but also the wider Tunisian culture and like the aspects of it that I've been exposed to. So I would say, yeah, in terms of my Jewish identity, I define myself as a Tunisian Jew. How does your ethnic background or your sort of family story shape that and influence that identity? Because it's, as you said, it's a mixed identity. I didn't really delve into that part of myself or like analyse really that aspect of myself growing up much because I was kind of one of the only Jewish kids at my school and I didn't really grow up in a Jewish community. Um, So I was like the token Jewish friend for a long time. So that was never really something to compare it to in terms of other Jews. So I didn't really think about it. as like, oh, there's other types of Jewish people or there's other ways of being Jewish um, until I think probably went, well, so I did like go to Sunday school and had a bat mitzvah and stuff, but I, I never felt very connected to that. It was kind of mm-hmm. just like a thing that I do, but I never tied that to, I think, a, an aspect of my identity. Um, until probably I was maybe like 14, 15. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that came with like exposure to culture in general. Um, Like it might sound a bit silly, but things like Seinfeld, like like my exposure to other Jewish people was really through the lens of like media and entertainment and, you know, later like literature and stuff. Um, And so then I kind of started thinking, oh, like, these Jewish people are so cool, but also that's not the like Judaism that I've been exposed to. Like it's really not the culture that I know of. Yiddish is just some, this very foreign thing to me. Um, And from that point on, I think I remember having conversations with my mom and telling her that I felt like we were like the uncool, kind of like the loser Jews for being like North African or just being like not, not like that. I was like, all these, all these like cool Ashkenazi Jews, they have like all the Nobel Prizes and they have all these books and TV shows. Like, what about us? We're basically like just lame. And she got really upset by that. She was like, absolutely not. Like, how could you say that? She like gave me, I don't know how true this is. So we might need to edit out, but I think she gave me an example of like someone, I think it was a French guy who was from a North African Jewish background who had like uh-huh. won or been nominated for an, a Nobel Prize. And that was like her example. Like, look, there's one. Yeah. Like, you're good we're not we're not bad um 
I think you've just given us the title for the podcast episode, isn't it? Just loser Jews. Loser Jews. (laughs) Brilliant. That's that's. I mean, it's really funny and also kind of sad. I feel like in England, I don't know. Like, I couldn't say in comparison to other Jewish kids how they felt and whatever. But in terms of France and like when I would go, so my mum's family, her parents, my so my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, cousins, and stuff are all in France in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I would go to see them that was really my exposure to the family and like the religion and the culture and stuff but also just French culture in general um, and I think in France there's definitely been for a long time kind of this perception of North African Jews as like the loud ones that they're a bit embarrassing they're not very educated and cultured and like refined and they're just the funny ones but not you know you're not especially proud of that identity of that narrative when it's portrayed that way at least like in movies there's a a couple like very famous French movies Mm -hmm. um in French it's called la vérité si je mens it means like it's it's kind of like an expression that North African Jewish people use like la vérité which means like the truth like let me tell you the truth um and it's it's a movie it's a comedy movie about a bunch of friends no, like North African Jewish friends who work in the textile industry and it's just a comedy um but it's also like a little bit racist like borderline I don't know it's it's not great it, it's funny I think it's like one of the the first like pieces of media and culture that exposed the wider French population to North African Jews um for a lot of them with all of these things sometimes you any kind of representation feels like a big step uh, initially and obviously yeah. you don't want sort of negative representation but to be able to even go oh look they're like me or that's 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 a story um it feels like a bit of a win and then you go oh hang on people are laughing at us right they're laughing at me there is that sort of tension when you when you see your community represented in media in some way just for context Nina you're talking about films and culture that you sort of engage with what sort of generation are you in what what sort of so you could position us in time I am between gen z and millennials i'm like right on the cusp so i think i kind of identify and engage with like both um groups um but so yeah i was born in the mid late 90s and i basically grew up on the internet but not Mm -hmm. kind of not really the internet that we have today with social media and stuff like it was more tumblr and like artsy film type independent movie tv shows things like that um but yeah i think a lot of it was American media, mostly. Yeah. I didn't really watch any British shows. or. But you could, you're of a generation where you could find stuff. Oh, you know, yeah. Stuff, yeah and and information was available. So, instantly. Yeah. But yeah. sort of to grow up when there's a bit more, there is some multiplicity. That's, that's really, that's really great. And in terms of that sort of ethnicity question, mm-hmm. it's interesting what you said about that film. How did they present how did how did you sense that they were presenting the sort of difference between uh Jewish characters and Jewish North Africans I don't think so I honestly I haven't seen that film in ages I don't remember that there were any not um like Ashkenazi Jews in the movie I think it's mostly Mm -hmm. like North African Jews and Mm non-Jews because there's like trade and selling their clothes and stuff like that um so it's not I don't remember a comparison I don't think there was um Ashkenazi Jews um but in terms of how they were portrayed yeah I guess mostly just like loud there's like a specific accent in French as well that's like very distinctive um certain expressions that mostly like that group of people use um and I think when I saw it I wasn't at like I really was not um I mean educated in the way that I am today in terms of like seeing little hints of potential racism or whatever it was more like oh my god like I feel like I can see my family on screen like oh this is the first time that I see people who talk like how they talk I never spoke like that again because like I grew up away from that so you know it doesn't like I don't have that accent I don't have that thing but it was it felt good it felt a bit validating I will say um like oh we exist it's not just my family also because like I didn't grow up around other Jewish kids, other North African Jewish kids or just families in general. Um, and my only exposure to 
that was my family I kind of felt like oh it's the only family in the world that is like that I didn't think there's heaps of other like North African Jews in France or in Paris or in the world I was like it's just us um, so seeing that felt kind of cool yeah perhaps you could talk about where we met and the sort of yeah. the context of that space and what that felt like. So we met at an event called Mizraki, which is led by um, Emily Theodore. And it was my second time going. And it's uh, basically events centered around uh, Mizrahi Jewish culture, music, just social events so you can meet other people who come from a similar background from the Middle East, North Africa or other places um basically just not Ashkenazi Jews because <laughs> it's hard to group everyone into one category because there's no one word like it's just so diverse and broad um and so yeah we met we met there I think it was especially like profound I would say or maybe not mm -hmm. profound but just significant um because for me like I especially like in London specifically in England in general like I've never been around that many people who are Jewish non-Ashkenazi from Arab backgrounds Middle Eastern backgrounds North African backgrounds Indian backgrounds like just such a breadth of people who have had similar experiences that I have um who were always like, why are we never represented? Why do we never have cool like meetups and gatherings and social events? Like why is every Jewish related thing, Ashkenazi centric, kind of exclusive, even like not on purpose, but ends up being um, kind of exclu like exclu yeah, exclusive. Um, and it just felt very like, I think I like, I'm especially thinking about the first one that I went to. Um, it was just like, wow there's so many of us I thought there was like two of us um and it just felt amazing and cool and like the music is really great Emily is also a DJ and like she just has excellent taste um <laughs> so it's just yeah it was just super super cool and I remember the first time that I went it was actually I had no idea what it was because um my boyfriend's friend invited us um and so we went, but I just thought it was like a cool night with um, Iraqi music and like mm -hmm, Jewish mm -hmm. music. I had no idea that it was like a social event or anything. Um, so when we went and I met Emily, I was like, oh my God, like who, who is she? Who is this? Why? How, how did you do this? This is so cool. Like, I remember telling her like, how did you do that? That's so cool. And she was like, yeah, I just did it. And I was so impressed. She was like, yeah, I've always wanted to have a space like this. So I just made it myself. I was in awe of her. I was like, she is just so cool. Um, yeah, I was just really impressed by the whole thing. She is really cool. And a uh, little plug, she did the graphics for the podcast as well. So she's an extremely talented uh, graphic designer as well as DJ, bringing people together, mm -hmm. making stuff happen. So, you know, huge props to Emily. And I think totally share that because uh, I, I, where we met was I hadn't been before. And I think my resounding, it sounds like a negative, but um, I was like, if only this had been around when I was younger. I, felt, yeah. like, I mean, I am a little bit older than you and perhaps some of the other people in the room I felt very I did kind of feel <laughs> that age gap a little bit um uh but I also felt how cool it was that for 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 a whole group of people to have that that bonding experience of it's okay yeah. I'm okay these people are like me one of the things that does bring communities together is food mm -hmm. so um What's on your plate, Nina, when you think about Jewish food yeah. and Jewish food that means something to you, what's mm -hmm. on your plate? So what's on my plate? One dish is this dish called pkela, and it's um, it looks very particular. It basically looks black. It's this beef <laughs> stew. It, it looks like really repulsive. And it's, yeah, kind yeah, of got, sorry. Like, it's kind of like a joke in my family where it's like, if you invite, you know, your non-Jewish boyfriend or girlfriend over and they can eat that, that at first they'll be like completely horrified and then they'll try <laughs> and they'll be like, oh my God, this is the best food ever. Um, but you have to pass that that test kind okay. of over the 
get over the how repulsive <laughs> it looks. Um, it, so it basically looks black, and it's, it's this beef stew um, yeah. with fried spinach, and it, I think it cooks for ages, for like four hours or something. It's just a super long, slow cooked stew. Um, it has white beans as well, mint, mm-hmm. coriander, and you eat it with couscous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just super creamy and just amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's a custom to eat it on Rosh Hashanah and some other holidays. Um, so that's one. And then the other one is a dish called brik, which is um, kind of similar in terms of like, I think the root of, the roots are kind of similar to like borek or like borekas, like uh-huh. yeah. pastry. But so basically it's made with phyllo pastry, like fine phyllo pastry leaves. Mm-hmm. And then you put an egg in the middle and you deep fry it. And that's like a very well-known like Jewish Tunisian dish. I think it's like widely accepted as Tunisian. If you go to Tunisia, you can have it. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think originally it's a Jewish dish. Um, and it's just so good. And there's an alternative where like instead of the egg, you have potato and tuna and harissa in it. So good. Oh, I'm starting to feel hungry. And it's probably like the one dish that I really missed. It took a while to realize that my knowledge of food like I know nothing about French cuisine like really nothing and you know all the different dishes and the rabbit and the cheeses and the thing like I've never really been exposed to that um and it took me a while to realize like the food that I did eat at home was couscous was like these Tunisian dishes and I was like oh maybe I'm not as French as I think Mm. and I guess um we'll come on to this I think but just in terms of food France's relationship with North Africa and it, mm-hmm. the food culture in France I guess that's a there's a sort of a simmering mix like, I guess it's like us within the Brits, Brits with Indian food there's kind of like a colonial uh, benefit but also a tension there that mm-hmm. so I, I guess that's and do, do other French is there a sort of distinction in or a sort of an awareness of that sort of uh, of of north african food and jewish north african food in france more broadly or is it sort of i don't think so i think i don't think so i think mostly people either know north african food but unless they're jewish they wouldn't know the north african jewish dishes i would say um or they wouldn't know i think probably like i'm sure tunisian all tunisian people know what a brique is but i don't think that Mm -hmm. they would necessarily know that there is a jewish origin to it Unless they're like very interested in food and history, yeah. well, it's like the set, the old story yeah. about fish and chips that that um, that it's a mix of Irish and uh, uh, the the story is you know the story oh. that the story is that there were two stalls in the East End. One was uh, uh, it was uh, I think I've got to get this right. I think it's Italian, but someone was frying potatoes and mm-hmm. someone was frying fish, and yeah. people were going between the two stalls and they were like, "Hang on a minute." Fish and chips go very well together. These two um, fried goods. Let's and that's the story that uh, that that it that it's sort of uh, that actually it's part you know it's immigrant food. People talk about it being this British dish, but actually it's an immigrant right. immigrant meal. Uh, and again, I, I would need someone who's a real expert on food history to <laughs> confirm that. But that's certainly the um, that's certainly the story. Nina, how do you Jew? How does your Jewish identity in relation to Jewish practice feel? That's yeah, that's also a complicated question. I think um, it's like I want to answer right now. I would say I don't do, um, but I like that's not accurate. Um, But it has kind of evolved over the years. And I think also as I've grown up, as I've moved out of, you know, my mom's house and I've, Mm -hmm. you know, developed my own sense of what I want to do what I like what I'm interested in what resonates with me um there's definitely been a period of like adapting to living away from family um and so for me that's meant not really keeping anything um Mm -hmm. but it was gradual um I think for me I felt that I was at least for the first couple of years that I was living outside of home I felt that the re I was still practicing, like I would um, fast on Yom Kippur and I would try and celebrate like Rosh Hashanah or things like that with friends or something. Okay. Um, but I gradually stopped because I felt that I wasn't doing it because I wanted to do it or because I liked it. I felt like I'm doing it because I've always done it and I'm doing mm-hmm. it 
because I feel like something bad will happen if I don't do it. Um, and yeah, because it's bad not to do it because we've always done it. What if you don't do it anymore? What's going to happen? Um, so I'm kind of in a phase now where I don't really do anything. Um, but it's also because I'm not tied to a community that because also because I haven't really done the research and like tried to find a community that I resonate with that I would want to be a part of. Um, I think in terms of religion, it would be important to me in the future to kind of have these traditions, um, but not in the religious sense, more in terms mm-hmm. of like, you know, it's a tradition to have this meal with these foods because our grandparents did it for thousands of years, like generations and generations. And I would rather it mean like feeling connected to something bigger, something more ancient, something more like, yeah, connected to my ancestors. And like, you know, that's this like very rich background and culture than purely being about God or what some old, old text <laughs> says we should do. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's a journey. So getting there is probably going to take time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm open to um, Jewing in the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's really it's a really great answer for me i think i would really like to get to a place where i'm reclaiming what religion is to me even if it's not keeping god even if it's not keeping random ultra specific practices um i think it would be important for me to say like i do this because that's my way of doing religion that's my way of feeling connected to something bigger than me to some like my family um but I, I I feel like it's important work. I just don't know how to get there or how to do it necessarily. Um, but I do feel like I don't want to completely get rid of it, um, even if I don't have, you know, strong faith. Um, yeah, there's just there's just like something there that I feel like I need to I need to work out if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Each week we take the time as a family to start. We do the candles, we have wine, we are making color at the moment. You know, that sort of thing where it's it's the, the ceremonial thing is there and the being thankful is there, but um, it's not under somebody else's set of constraints. It's something that we've worked out. I can see how, how it brings comfort to people. It just doesn't do it for me. Moving from the personal to where you fit within the broader history and culture of of the Tunisian Jewish world, how much do you know about that history and the community and how does it and how it relates to other Jews and perhaps other faith communities that 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 they relate to how much do you how much do you know and how what would you like to know more about hmm. so it's only in the last couple of years that I've started um really like diving deep into my background and trying to understand the story um of why we are where we are today um because I think maybe one thing to mention is that for me so no one ever explained to me like I, I grew up knowing that my grandparents were Tunisian but no one mm-hmm. ever explained to me why they were not there anymore um All that right. was to com- complete silence about why we were in France or they were in France why mm-hmm. what happened so for a long time I which eventually like led to me starting this whole process of like trying to learn the history and what happened. Um, I really felt like I must've been either lied to, or I must've misunderstood um, because I felt very white. I mm-hmm. looked very white. Um, mm-hmm. It was something that was not making sense to me. And I was like, mm-hmm. like, how can I be Tunisian? Like, I, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Um, and also no one told me anything about, why they left so something a bit shady um so it literally led to me taking a dna test uh-huh. um, i don't think my family really knew why i was doing that i think they thought like oh i just wanted to find out like more about my ancestry but i think they i didn't think they thought that i was doing it to prove that i'm a Tunisian, <laughs> which is exactly why i did it um and i am 50 percent Tunisian, turns out okay <laughs> <laughs> so i was like okay so it's real that's crazy i don't know why i just felt this huge sense of relief when i saw the dna test i was like oh okay thank god like i wasn't mm. like this is actually real there is definitely a sense when you grow up away from the culture that you know your family has or had for thousands of years it felt almost like appropriating a culture that wasn't really mine or that was supposed to be mine but isn't 
And so I felt like I wasn't, I would not really be allowed to really dive into it and claim it as my own until I had like proof through a DNA test. Um, so from that point on, I don't even know why I was talking about this, but from that point on, yeah, I started researching um, the history of Jews in Tunisia and kind mm-hmm. of asking my family a little bit about it. And it's interesting because they don't really know that much. They don't really, at least like the generations born in France or the one who, the ones who moved, like, like I'm thinking like my aunts, uncles and stuff. They don't yes, really yeah. know the depth of how far back it goes. So would they have been quite young when they left or yeah, they were they, like they born in seven, France? 12, 15, yeah. things like that. Um, yeah. And for them, I think it was more a question of really integrating into French society and completely yeah. like putting aside their background in Tunisia. To them, it was like, okay, well, we're gone now, so we're just mm-hmm. French, and that's how it is. Um, even if at home, obviously, they didn't live like regular French people, I would say. I know that Jews lived in Tunisia for over 2,500 years, um, something like that. And so we don't know exactly you know, when, from when and why. But that's a long time, right? That's a very long time. (laughs) Um, And so there was, I know that there was migration from Jewish people to Tunisia after the destruction of the first temple. I know there was another wave after the destruction of the second temple. So like first temple is around 586 BC. So that's already a long time ago. I think it's something that people don't know is that there was Jewish people in Tunisia before Islam was a religion that's that's a big deal like that's something that's completely not integrated into the way we look at that region of the world um the way like from what i understood tunisian um education does not mention that in the books at all jews have been completely erased from the history which is also kind of crazy and so we don't exactly know the origins of my family because it's there's such a mix so after there was a wave of jews moving i guess like moving making their way towards tunisia Later on in like 1492, there was the Spanish Inquisition and Jews were forced to either either convert or leave. Um, mm-hmm. so there was a wave of Spanish, Portuguese and Italian Jews that emigrated to Tunisia. So I think my family is probably a mix of the community that was there before for thousands of years, plus Spanish, Italian, Portuguese. Wow. And I guess... One of the things when when we met at, at the Mizrahi night, one of the things that really blew me away is that you were, you seemed to be in the middle of research. I was like, I need to write all this down. I think I made you promise to send it all to me the next day or something. But you mentioned all these, uh, there was quite a lot in France. There were films, film which yeah. we, we can come back to, but writing and the, even in the 60s, there were people talking about the relationship between Jewish identities in North Africa. And I, I sat there thinking, I know nothing about this. How, That's just how is so this? Much. Pro- Even I know, blue- I've like barely scratched the surface. There's so much. It's just crazy and exciting. Um, but yeah, I think one thing probably to mention is that from 1881, Tunisia became a French protectorate. So it's like mm-hmm. a colony until 1956, where there was Tunisian independence. And so the way that that whole thing, if I can call it that, impacted Jewish people meant that it really blurred the notions of whether they were Jews or Tunisian or French they had to Mm -hmm. pick a side but they also they benefited from that like protectorate but also they lost their identity through it um and like it basically erased thousands of years of culture but it got them out of poverty for a lot of people. It saved their lives because they could flee to France later on. There was also Jewish people who fought for the independence alongside Tunisian people. And they've also been completely erased from history. Like there's just so many different trajectories and stories. And it it really, I think, impacts the way Tunisian Jews saw themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I remember having conversations with my mom and asking her, so like, so are we Arabs? Like what, what, what are we? Because everyone in my family has very French sounding first names, even Catholic French names. Mm -hmm. My sister also did a family tree and she like managed to go really far back. And everyone has like super Arab sounding names that are really difficult to pronounce and (laughs) so cool. And I was like, this makes sense. Like, and then you just see from one generation to the next, they all are called like Therese and Louise and like things like that, that you're like, hold up, what, what just happened? I wish like because my grandparents um, passed away, but I just wish I could have asked them like their relationship to that. 
uh, mm. and how they perceived the French. I know that depending on how wealthy they were or you know what your background was you would have a very different relationship to the French um I know that my grandfather really hated French people um and I know that he came from much a a much poorer background than my grandmother and yeah also just the way that people spoke I think that's something that I mentioned to you when we met like my grandmother Mm. like she sounded like a you know North African person but like my grandfather had a very thick Arab accent when he spoke French which my grandmother didn't have and I also always had that question when I was a kid of like that's so weird like they come from the same place why do they sound so different it doesn't make sense to me and no one really answered those questions as I've had to kind of come up with my own conclusions that's so interesting I was hoping to circle back to that question but you've brought us right there which is around that silence your family would have come across in the 60s I guess to France and my family was coming across in the end of well in the beginning of the 50s I have family members who have Irish names and very British sounding names from as un-Jewish and as un-Indian as you could possibly imagine I've had a little bit of exposure of, of certainly Parisian French Jewish culture do you think that there was understanding of the challenges for those Jewish communities when they arrived or did you not pick up on any of that? Do people not I talk don't about? So I'm not entirely sure. I think that in that period of time, at least from what I understood, there was loads of, and like where my grandparents eventually moved, which was kind of like a council estate um, mm-hmm. in Paris, there was loads of immigrants from all over the world. So I, I don't think that anyone was like specifically worried about one community because everyone was kind of facing the same struggle in similar ways um and I think at least in that generation it was probably a thing of okay we're just going to move on we have to make money because we have nothing we just have Mm -hmm. to really build our lives from scratch now and we don't have time to think about it and cry about it because we have kids to feed and work to do and things to do yeah so so I don't think there was I, I don't even know, like, I don't know how it turned out, but I, I feel like there was probably no time for them to even sit and think about what they wanted to get, like the experience they wanted and expected from other people outside of their community. Cause I think there was just so much stress and trauma. Did they come with trauma? So, so having spoken to some communities, they, there was somewhere they really felt a trauma in leaving or they were forced to leave for traumatic yeah. reasons. So I think, Yes and no. I think probably yes for the kids who all of a sudden, like they didn't tell them we're moving. They just took them on a plane and were like, okay, well, that's it. You're never going back now. (laughs) Um, So one of my aunts went through a really deep depression as a young teen Mm -hmm. because she missed her country. She missed the sun. She missed the sea. Um, So they sent her to like the south of France for a bit um, with other family members so that she could kind of feel a bit better, I guess. Um, I think I think it was a trauma um, of like abandoning your whole life. I think there's also a sense of um, I'm not sure what the right phrase for this is, but just they 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 left. At least my grandmother grew up fairly wealthy. I think mm-hmm. just going from having a beautiful house by the sea, uh, you know, with a maid and to just living in a council flat with no, nothing, no money, no nothing, no, no furniture, literally just my mum slept in a suitcase, like things, things like that and living in pretty intense poverty. So I think that was the trauma as well as probably just having to leave, having to flee without, like, I don't know if when they left, they knew they would never go back. Um, I'm sure they did to an extent. And then for my grandfather, there's additional trauma because, um, and I also didn't know this until literally like two years ago, um there was so the nazis came to tunisia and there was uh, forced labor camps that my grandfather had to take part in as a 21 year old so for i think it was like six months he was in a forced labor camp with nazis with you know murder and stuff among other other things working in the desert in the heat in the middle of the war um and that's also something that was never explained to me never spoken to me about until very recently um and I yeah it's just another thing that's kind of kept silent wow that's that's really shocking I'm sorry to hear that and that's but and but only but even more so that you only recently I only recently found out and also what's been 
frustrating for me is that there is almost no information about this like yeah if you google like nazis in tunisia that there's literally like one paragraph there, there's mm. nothing i'm trying to find books i'm trying to find documents there's i can't find anything there's a few academics that I've been discovering that are exploring aspects of Jewish history. We can extend the ask. I'm sure there'll be someone who's been researching in that area. We've just got to find them. But mm, good luck with yeah. that mission. How different your experience has been from that of other French Jews, the British Jews that you've met more recently. And when you're talking about this, what challenges come up around identity and how no, people react to it? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, so the when I was younger, I went to a French Jewish summer camp. Mm -hmm. And I had kind of a not a bad experience, but it was very odd. Because um, I think I grew up mostly around like, French people in England. So that's like a very particular way of seeing the world. Um, and being among yeah. real French people was like, <laughs> a bit, bit different. Um and I think there, so most of them, if not all of them, were of like Tunisian, Moroccan or Algerian backgrounds. Wow. And I didn't, I really did not um, connect with them. And then again, like I was like 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it was also, they had all grown up in the midst of that community. Um, gotcha. So they, a lot of them, it's like even crazy to think about, but a lot of them had the like Tunisian or Moroccan Jewish accent, even though they mm -hmm. were like, second or third generation French because they just grew up in the midst of it so that was a bit I like loved being around it um but it didn't feel like me there was yeah there was a big gap between me and other people and I think one thing that kept coming up is that people didn't believe that I was Tunisian Jewish they didn't believe that I was Jewish I was like no I swear like I promise you I am um, but it, it was more you like... You hadn't done the DNA test yet at that yeah, point. Yeah, I hadn't so, done man. it yet, but it was like, are you sure you're one of us? And I was like, I think so, I mean... Um, but yeah, it was more in terms of Jewish identity. Like, are you sure you're Jewish? And like, things like that. I didn't uh, really relate to them. Like, I... It, the way they were mirrored how my family is. So it felt very familiar and like warm in a way, but I didn't feel like I was part of that. I felt a bit like an alien in the middle of it. Um, and I think it wasn't until I went to Israel that I, for the first time, I felt much more, I really connected with Israelis on my background a lot more um, because the way they dip in and out of it, the way that I think like French Jews, especially because it was a Jewish camp, um, summer camp, um, there is a big emphasis on like how you keep the religion going, the traditions, they all went to a Jewish school and stuff and I didn't. Um, and so there was an emphasis on practicing Judaism, which I never really related to. And when I went to Israel, it was like, you can be of this background and not do anything. And you're still yeah. at this background. You're still included in this group. You don't have to prove that you're Jewish. You don't have to keep the thing going because they live among Jews. So they don't have yeah. that mindset. And that felt so comforting to me. I think it was kind of the, only, the first time that I felt accepted among Jewish people or also because there's such a mix of people there they can be like a quarter Ashkenazi a quarter Indian half Moroccan like there's just such a complex mm -hmm. combination of identities that everyone is okay with everyone else's identity mm -hmm. that was really significant for me gosh there's so much in that story yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I I guess I, I think what's really fascinating there is that you know, I mean, to some extent, some of it is about being a teenager, right? Yeah. You know, that age group where yeah. we're desperately I'm sure trying that to... if I met those people today, we would probably have a lot more in common than we did. Oh, of, of course. But, yeah. but there's that thing about managing that sense of identity when we look for things where we feel that we fit. Growing up around people uh, who reinforce your sense of identity must be a lovely thing. I didn't entirely have that experience. I don't think it doesn't sound like you did entirely. I definitely did not, no. Um, but it's it's interesting what you said what you said that, that if you met them now, yeah, and I I kind of saw a bit of that at the Mizrahi night. You know, lots of people yeah. going, ah, yeah. I accept you. Let's have a conversation and finding those connections. I think that was also something specific to me where I felt like the religion got in the way of a lot of things, and I turned like at the Mizrahi. I don't know how many people were religious, but I think probably not many, if none at all. Um, I mean, maybe some to an extent, but yeah it just felt like it's either you're at least at the summer camp I mean um mm -hmm. you're Jewish and North African 
or yep. you're nothing. There's no, yep. there's no ground. You can't just yeah. see, you don't, you can't just claim the culture and then not practice the religion. That's how it felt. And I was kind of like, this is not, I don't see how I fit into this equation. I wonder whether that's a minority group issue, because Definitely. I think if you're a majority group, you're like, oh, well, you know, you can be, be what exactly. you like. We're confident. Um, yeah. I think a bit like that group that you were talking about, my attitude towards religion is if I did believe, I think I'd have to go all in because yeah. I'm, you know, like I, the model I have of it is to do it properly from my grandfather, from that Indian background, which is, you know, we do... The, uh, the identity, the religion, these things, this is a package and you do it properly. I think I struggled with that for a long time. Now I'm like, ah, sod that, I'll do it the way I want. But for a long time, I just, I, I can see how that connection between culture and religion feels for many people like it has to be interconnected because that's how you survive, how you protect your minority identity mm-hmm. from other people. I, I suppose in France, we have the perception that the French language is highly protected, that the idea of it being a secular state. How did that? How does that experience of being Jewish uh, in France, as you've observed? I know you haven't grown up here, but that, or not, you haven't experienced all aspects of that. But that sort of, what, what do you note in the difference between the French way of approaching it and and the British approach to that? So I can speak to, I guess, my own experience going to school. So I went to the French lycée, which is like a very big French school. Um, which follows like the French program, French education system, rules, all of that. So there was no religion, no mention of religion. I experienced it in my school is that by secular, we mean it's okay to do things as a Christian, but if you're not, mm-hmm. if you do not fit within that box, then it's bad. And remember, it's the secular society, but if you fall outside of those boundaries, it's not okay it's not appropriate you're breaking the rules so like in my school I'm I'm sure it's not like that everywhere in France but like at my school it was they did as part of the school like you could join I guess you call it like catechism what do you call it so you could do that as part of this thing in primary school and even later on and that was widely accepted and all the kids could do it if they wanted to but if you missed a school day because of Yom Kippur, then like you were told off. Like that was my experience. Right. I can't even imagine like being a Muslim in a system like that as well, because there's just, it's just so complicated and there's a lot of racism, frankly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in terms of France, how it is, I don't know. Also like the experiences that I've had with um, French Jewish kids at summer camp, they all went to a Jewish school. So that's also very specific. I'm trying to think in terms of my um, cousins. I have little cousins who are in their teen, teens. Um, none of them go to a Jewish school. I think what it does is that ultimately, and I think it's also one of we're coming to understand now, it's one of the issues with this law, um, mm-hmm. is that it just doesn't put everyone on equal footing the way it's intended. It just erases people's identities. So it's fine for Catholic people, Christian people, but if you're different, if you're Muslim or Jewish or from any other religion, race background, you end up having to suppress yourself and erase your identity in order to fit inside this norm, which is not neutral. It's just white Catholic. That's just the norm. So equality actually just equals erasure. I just wish, at least the way that I see, the way I was educated in my school and within the system, there is no kind of class or way of teaching kids about different backgrounds, right? So what that does is it doesn't just make everyone equal because we don't talk about any of it. It just erases them. Like you, I felt very unseen and I was, you know, probably like one of the only Jewish kids in my class. I was never religious, but I felt very embarrassing if I ever mentioned anything Jewish like if it was Pesach and I would bring my own little snacks to school I was made fun of um and I don't think it came from a place of like racism it just came from like a lack of education a lack of tolerance for kids who are different um so yeah I think ultimately and also what that does is when you're a kid and you're going through that you don't think oh there's I just have this like very rich diverse identity and I just haven't explored that you think there's something wrong with me I don't fit in like there's something weird about me um but I feel like if there was anything just literally anything made to help kids understand tolerate learn about other ethnic religious backgrounds the kids who fall within these 
other categories would start to think that they are worthy of like that their identity is worth investigating because I think for a lot of us we feel like we have to be French super square fit within the norm and like do the things right and then eventually you reach a certain age I think like a lot of us where you're like 25 or 30 or 45 or whatever and you're like well then like something has always felt very wrong like something about my identity just feels like I've always been pushing it down or just not looking into it because no one told me that it was worth looking into no one told me that it was interesting or rich or Mm -hmm. exciting Mm -hmm. and I think now I'm getting to that also because of you know all the movements around like reclaiming your identity understanding your own backgrounds like these are very I know that people can criticize the woke movement and whatever but it it does a lot for a lot of people who are not not white (laughs) it just does so much it allows you to really explore where you're from and understand why you feel the way that you feel versus just trying to assimilate and fit within a norm. I know there is stuff going on in schools and I have been looking at the, but I've been looking at the Jewish aspect and I don't think there is really much supportive stuff out there for Jews. These experiences are common across lots of communities so as you said that like the muslim kids in the french schools would have found it as hard to have felt isolated and Mm -hmm. i think these are common experiences and actually you know there isn't one kind of muslim there isn't one kind of sikh well you know there isn't you know these are there are rich experiences so even within any of those labels there are people who come from different countries different um with slightly different heritage whatever their religious label might be so yeah there's a lot there's a lot there that and I think the about the sort of recognizing the diversity of expression that needs to happen but that's really helpful to sort of I I often wonder about that what how the 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 tension you know the difference between the French that's just again like that's just my perspective I'm someone who doesn't who doesn't live there so I, I'm I'm like imagine no, no, no. my cousin listening to this and being like oh she has no idea what she's saying um well which is listen true as well to yeah extent. but that I'm interested in what you know we're interested in what you're saying and yeah. everyone's perspective is different and I think it's just um I think as you know that's the point of these podcasts is to ask the questions we're not the experts we're not we're not historians <laughs> what would you say to other Jews to help them understand your perspective better and the uh, how oh, to, to be more inclusive of Jews yeah. like you. One one of the ways that at least I engaged in, well, with like broader Jewish culture in general was through movies and music and films and books. Um, and that's really kind of how I built my identity a little bit, especially as a teenager. Like the movies that I saw had such a big impact on me. Like that really built the person that I am. Um, and so I think... I would say like representation in 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 culture and films in books in movies and not just that but you know when there's this is like a very specific example but like Jewish film festival Jewish Jewish book week like how many of those are really just by and for Ashkenazi Jews and Ashkenazi Jewish story like those are great but there's there's such a breadth and depth of like amazing stories from Jews from all around the world and we never see those we never hear about those like I've got like I spent the last I want to say year year and a half two years just like digging into all that aspect of culture trying to find movies that resonated with me trying to find tv shows where I felt represented trying to and I found so many just like amazing pieces of art there's so much that's there there's these amazing writers and filmmakers that are just so unknown from like the broader Jewish community um, so I think like giving them, you know, putting the spotlight on them, giving them a voice, inviting them to Jewish cultural events. That's like where I start because like from, from the religion aspect, because I don't really take part in like religious community and like whatever. I'm just thinking of like the synagogue that I went to when I was growing up. Um, mm-hmm. I went to the Spanish and Portuguese synagogue. So it mm-hmm. is like Sephardic Jewish, you know, there's the rabbi was Tunisian and like things like that. There's a Syrian okay. rabbi. Um, for me, but again, I'm not religious, so I don't know. Um, I think for me, the way that I saw the people within the community, I just saw people like just older people, older English people. And I don't know if it's because of like, I never knew their stories. I think there's just so little that is done to kind of 
for, for the transmission of the stories of the heritage of you know the background like there's there was Syrian Jews Iraqi Jews Tunisian Jews like just people from all over the world with such Egyptian Jews like such amazing interesting beautiful stories and there's nothing done to kind of je- communicate that to the younger generation so it just kind of dies out it's like when they're gone they're gone and I don't know their stories I've never had a chance to talk to them or learn about you know their background and I would have loved to have that I think I would have loved to I don't know if that's like a very specific thing I would have loved to have something arranged at a synagogue or I think for me it was a synagogue just to create a bond between like older generation and younger generation or there's also like an erasure of this is also very specific of like Arabic as a mm-hmm. language. Like my yeah. grandma spoke like Judeo Arabic. The prayers are in Judeo Arabic, and like reclaiming that, reclaiming Arabic as a Jewish language as well. Like you know, teaching Jewish kids that they don't have to be afraid of Arabic. They can it could be your language too. Like le- learning that it's it's okay to to want to learn Arabic. It's okay to want to go towards. I feel like there's such a like a fear of those countries now because of what happened that nothing has really been done to try and rebuild that bridge and rebuild mm-hmm. that connection mm-hmm. so in france um you mentioned the movie earlier that i recommended to you like in france now there is a movement of like young people especially young women trying to reclaim their heritage moving back there trying to talk to the local people trying to build bonds with them trying to kind of bridge that gap and repair something because that was definitely like a great something broke you know between I want to say my grandparents generation and me because I don't even know their story completely and I think finding your way back to that there's so much that can be done like there's really just so much tell the stories and repair the breaks right mm-hmm. and that the movie that you mentioned mm-hmm. uh you should you should credit it properly because I've, I've, it's a it's an awesome movie right yeah her name is Cleo Cohen Cleo Cohen um and she made this documentary um so called may god protect you she films her four grandparents so she's half algerian jewish half tunisian jewish and she just asks them questions about their lives and it's met with a sort of like confusion annoyance um until gradually she just kind of takes matters into her own hands and goes to tunisia facetimes her grandmother shows her the things that she didn't want to engage with um and now she's actually moved back. Well, moved back. She moved there. She lives there now, um, which is like a very crazy and powerful thing to do and just very brave as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm just very impressed with her in general. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really powerful movie. There were a couple of very touching moments where she's with her things that I wish I'd been able to do with my grandparents, mm, where she yeah. she did repair the, some of those breaks and she's made that jump. And I think it's it's. It, I think it's the sort of representation that we do need to see. And your your descriptions are, your sort of, your focus is absolutely right. And it's work that does need to happen. And you're doing now, partly. Yes. You're helping to do. So <laughs> thanks so much for your time, Nina. I, I understand you better. I understand, uh, and I think I understand a part of the Jewish landscape, a bit of the Juniverse, a bit better than I did. Thank you for your generosity in sharing so much. It's really, really kind. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is lovely. Nina, what I love about her story is that she's got this insider-outsider-ness and sometimes she's got an outsider who's inside but not experiencing the insideness if you see what I mean so her experience as being in a French school that's in London that and she is Tunisian French uh, and she says I'm not really part of I don't really interact with like English people no I just go to this school and this school is for French people and I sure ain't French but I'm also not really Tunisian and I'm not so she's got a lot of I'm not and so that feeling of she describes the feeling of going to Israel and this is something I can really kind of relate to and this kind of like oh no one belongs and yeah. everyone's welcome yeah well to a point everyone's to welcome. a point but, but then but she like, yeah but, but she like, also has that experience when she goes to the Jewish uh, kids camp yeah. and there are other Mizrahi, uh, a Tunisian Jewish kids, but she's not 
like them. Right. They've got they've got all the cultural capital of those communities, but she didn't grow up with that. Yeah. But so it's that thing of being in and out, having the codes. It was interesting when she talked about getting to Israel as well. I mean, for all its faults, there is that moment where it feels like it's okay. Yes, but no. To be. Yes, but no, I agree. Exactly, I agree. because if but I she... just, sorry to egotistically relate it back to my experience, but <laughs> I grew up in northwest London. I grew up in Golders Blinking Green, right? Oy vey. As a Jew that was not a Jew, hmm. right? The family kind of not rejecting it, not accepting it, whatever. But I went to a school that was 50% Jewish kids and... Uh, you know, I was around ultra-Orthodox Jews and all sorts of Jews. But so when I went to Israel, they were like, what are you? Not who are you, but what are you? Right. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't Jewish enough. I don't know. It was just so, so that I, that's, I think why I really identify with Nina in some ways, but obviously mm. not in others. And yet all of us hold on to the cultural significance of being Jewish, or being a Jew but there's no unified, homogenous Jewish culture. It's very interesting. And I think her story really, really brought that to life in a really curious, she was very curious about it and also a bit of pain around it as well. It's not simple. I first chatted to her on the steps in this bar in London at this uh, Miss Rucky event. It was really noisy and loud and could barely hear her. But straight away, that I could see and pick out a very particular voice and a very particular struggle and a, a deep curiosity, and, but a clear line that wasn't just about her own experience. She was asking questions that weren't just about, oh, poor me, or what about my family and aren't my family interesting? It was about, God, these are big themes, and, you know, my experience resonates with these other things. And she was, you know, I think that's what I think really comes through in the way that she talks about her story is that it's it's bigger than, it is bigger than that. It's, she's talking about French culture. She's talking about the films that um, are actually hugely popular in France about, uh, that, that are playing with Mizraki, um archetypes, stereotypes, right? right? And what that means and um, what it says about French culture, but also... Um, raises interesting questions for us in the UK. And, and yeah, absolutely. And also, um, I mean, you refer to Mizrahi, and I don't think, maybe she does, maybe I just have a look on the transcript, but maybe she talks about Mizrahi, but I think she talks about, so there, there's another grouping that lumps together people with quite disparate yeah. experiences. Right. The same, no, I'm not saying it as a critique, I'm just saying, you know, for the purposes of of understanding things, we do. We say Ashkenazi, Safadi, Mizrahi, and everyone kind of knows what we're talking about. Just the same as we would say, you know, uh, European and maybe yeah. non-European. And actually the whole race project, you know, the project of making race a thing because of racism was about trying to define who is European and then the rest of the world, who is not European. But she says, uh, she says, when you ask her, like, how do you define your Jewish identity? She says, well, I've thought about this a lot. It's a complicated one. And I think if I define my Jewish identity in broad terms, I'd say I'm Jewish, but I don't think I can separate my Jewish from my Tunisian. So listen, we have, a, we have one challenge on the table, which is we need a we need a we need a title for this podcast mm. episode, right? During the interview with Nina, she talked about thinking that as a kid that Tunisian Jews were the loser Jews, mm. and I wrote that down. She felt that then being Tunisian Jewish was to be a kind of loser, as in not not like not like as in a schmuck or anything, but just like uncool, you know, like not not the not the in crowd, um, which I guess. Uh, resonates with some of the other people we've spoken to. If I look at it through kind of theory around race and that kind of internalised oppression and internalised self-hatred, which apparently, you know, Jews are pretty good at that, 
Um, and then you've also got this kind of double whammy because as Jews, we're quite good at internalized self-hatred because of oppression and because accentuated by Holocaust and whatnot, but also as a Jew that isn't part of this um, self-declaring elite of the Mm -hmm. Ashkenazi Jews, then, you know, you're kind of, it's an intersection. I wouldn't say it's doubly because I don't think you can quantify, but it's an intersection of of kind of messages that you've been given about your right to being fully human. Hmm. I thought it was really interesting how Nina talked about class and um, the way that education and in the French system that uh, you grow up with, you know, in a sec, you know, with the idea that schools are secular and that, wearing symbols of you know religious symbols is not allowed um and, to the extreme now yeah uh, and as she said it's you know very much affecting um muslim kids and uh the sort of the the islamic community now but that there's in that context to grow up as an arab jew <laughs> in um french in the within the french system how do you where's your identity in that there's more something there about class and your position within the class system where your community is valued within france rather than your religious identity so and, and anyone who's identified as other yeah will be and i might be like grossly generalizing but i think this plays out anyone who's identified as other gets placed as lower class yeah. So, yeah. and I know it happens, you know, in the UK, it happens that we talk about uh, underprivileged or children from deprived backgrounds, and, and we put all the black and brown kids into that, whether they're from middle class families or not. And we know that immigration often is people who come from more educated and more moneyed backgrounds because they've got the money and the education to even consider how they might reinvent themselves in another country um, and they have the kind of um, confidence from having money and education to think that they would be able to find their way. Your kind of class status gets wiped yep. um, as soon as you immigrate or descend from immigrants until you're able to kind of maybe, if you're allowed, to kind of dilute that. Being in a position to reflect on how your identity and how your um, how your relationship with the people in your life and your and your difference to them is it does take time to be able to do that and I think it's something that uh, Nina does is doing brilliantly, which is to explore those challenges and ask the questions openly and with empathy for other people, including her family, which I think she does really sensitively um is it's 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 tough it is a tough thing to do but incredibly rewarding having spoken to her you can see it's bringing her so much joy and satisfaction even when the problems even when the, the questions are problematic and hard and difficult to talk about there's a there's a deep there's real work going on there that's helping her feel stronger in herself and her sense of how her jewish identity fits within her modern life which is what all of us can you know aim for but it's it's something that those stories help us to do it's so interesting also that um we often come to this rather than this well i i can't speak for everybody but for a lot of people rather than this being integral to their growing up and knowing who they are and sort of following you know she's doing a lot of following threads and unraveling when i was teaching in jerusalem the kids that came in at sort of the equivalent of year seven, the first thing we did with them is called Shorashim projects or your roots. And you get all of the kids to just find out who they are. And Mm. they have to talk to the parents, grandparents, any family members that they have. If they're adopted, they need to find out what their adoptive parents know um, about them and find out their adoption story and and see like what uh, what's important to them of the many stories that they're going to be holding 
obviously a lot of people then that includes an immigration story somewhere um through through the generations and stuff and they have to do this whole project for like six months and write it up wow. and create a family tree and it's all about because they're going to be bar and bat mitzvah so it's all about like you can't really become bar or bat, mit- bat mitzvah until you know who you are and you can't know who you are until you ask the people who brought you into the world um well, i didn't know that how you became and Is what that still going on they still do that they still do it it's a wow. really really important thing um and i always think it's really sad that we don't it wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to do uh, in the first few months of secondary school it would be amazing um, i mean we do we kind of do it at like key stage one reception when we do is you know about our family about me it's so like race gender and class neutral right yeah but if you could do it on the background of you know race gender class and and other things that are really important that form us and that we are formed by whether we like it or not Mm. you know so a lot of nina's story is about this kind of how her things that she's assumed about herself often have come from the outside of people telling her that she is this or she's not that. Yeah. I was going to say it's about the way that the French education system does it. But again, to some extent, we do that here where we start, we, we start with erasure. We do start with, well, none of that matters. You're now a year seven student in House Bronte. You're given identity mm. by the school mm. and told to discard everything else. Right. Um, so to so, yeah. again to go back to the Shorashim, the Roots project is that there's a it also culminates in a really big exhibition where all the families are um, able to just go and flick through. You create these huge books, and then there's also artifacts and photos, and you create like a little booth that's like your little museum curated thing and you might have music on and you might have done a painting or you might have brought you know all sorts of things and people can touch and listen and taste and um, watch and read and and so the kids get really interested in each other's backgrounds and they find crossovers and sometimes there's a thing that's like oh my gosh you're actually my cousin you know it's fascinating but it's such a nice way to create community and to and to root children really really strongly in who they are and where they came from and why they're here but it's got to be the model for more empathy surely this has been who do you think you are with penny rabiger and me elan ezekiel Thanks so much to Nina Randisi for her time and sharing her story with us. And thanks to you, dear listeners, for listening. This podcast is all about inclusion, so it's great to have you along. Exploring the Juniverse, whether you are Jewish or just Jew curious. There's more in the show notes about how you can get involved, learn more or get in touch. We're on Blue Sky, Facebook and, at least for now, Twitter or X or whatever it's called. Please like and subscribe, and reviews and ratings really help, so please take a moment to do that if you can. This episode has been released at the start of a Jewish New Year, just after Yom Kippur. So why not stick with us and make this the year of Jewish inclusion, even if you're listening far into the future? I hope you'll join us again and again and explore the Juniverse, asking... Who do you think you are?